there was a guy walking next to me and I looked over at him and he looked at me. I said, hell of a day. He said, yep, hell of a day. And we just kept walking together. And he said, how far do you have to go? And I said, I have to go to West End between 105 and 106. How about you? He said, I'm going up to 215th Street. Hmm. I said, are you kidding me? He said, yeah. We exchanged phone numbers and I made sure he got home safely and then I got home safely. And by the time I got home, it was in the afternoon and Wright had a friend over and he was just processing. He went up to the roof. You know, he, he had been around it all day. And then me, I went on overdrive. I'm like, we need money. We need to get food. And so I went to the grocery store and all the ATM machines, they locked all the ATM machines. You couldn't get money out. And the, 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 the grocery store, the D'Agostino was like long lines and people were gathering stuff, you know, kind of like, kind of like COVID. Welcome to a special episode of the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast. This week, John and Jonathan will recall their experiences during the tragic attacks on our country that happened 19 years ago. New York was forever changed because of those events, and so were John and Jonathan. Today, the John and Jonathan Sell NYC team is taking a moment to remember those we've lost, not only 19 years ago, but during every year since, and the most recent losses our city has experienced due to the pandemic. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to episode number 11. Is it? I think it's okay, 11. Yes, yeah. it's 11 of the John and John Sell NYC podcast. Uh, Mr. Conlon, good afternoon. How are How you? How are you, Mr. Gazdaska? Sir, I couldn't be better. How we saw you? each other today. I know. Start, I can't believe Starting out it. The, wor- the work week the right way by seeing you. It's good. I didn't even pay you to say it either. <laughs> Hey, listen, and before we jump into this podcast, happy anniversary. For what? Oh, yes. Oh, brother. You were supposed to say happy anniversary, bud. Yeah, happy anniversary, bud. How's Thank that? 14 years together. And going it, it strong, came and man. went. And we're going to announce this will probably be the last of the podcasts. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding, audience. Seriously. Good to see you. 14 years as of September 1st. We surpassed the Baker's dozen. I think we should give ourselves something. Oh, I got an idea. I don't know what about, why. What about 13 Dunkin' Donuts? I would say I let's would go out to awesome. dinner, but you can't really do that too well. No, not yet. Hey, we could go to, go to a let's social Let's go on a European trip. Can't do that. Let's, <laughs> I don't know. But we'll figure something out. We are going to give our takeaways for the week and then share our experiences, our perspectives, which are two very different perspectives on 9-11. And uh, so with that, it's our 9-11 episode. Bud, what's your takeaway from the week? I would say, you know, I always find it interesting to see what others, other agents are saying about what's going on in the current market climate. And you and I will, you know, we somehow get subscribed to a lot of different agents um, uh, different newsletters and such that they're putting out. And, and of course, we share them with, with the team and such. And, and, and many times, unfortunately, they're, they're not very honest. And I think so the importance of honesty in what's going on, not only for, uh, uh, for our clients, but also in the com- within the community, I think, is very important. So uh, how about that for a takeaway, is the importance of honesty, especially in a difficult market. Because, um, yes, we are seeing some things happen, but 
looking at this through rose-colored glasses is not uh, not appropriate. So, um, and giving that's people the wrong perspective. How's that? It's a great takeaway. <laughs> and mine will. How about you? Yeah, what's yours? Mine's going to be um, on the uh, in tandem with that, and that's the takeaway of gratitude. I look back at our summer. And I cannot believe that the summer is over, basically. You know, I was teasing all day today saying it's the first day back at school, you know, and the lady behind the counter at CVS was like, great. I said, oh, it was just an expression, you know, you know, we're back in New York and back in Manhattan. And it's always like the hustle and the bustle. And it's not that way this year, you know, but we have tremendous amount. I have a tremendous amount of gratitude, not only for you and the 14 cherished years that we've had together. It's flown by. It's been a fun Sometimes ride. Sometimes faster than others. And yeah. um, no, but it's been a great run and we're, we're not even halfway through. Oh, well, really? we're, we're halfway not through. even halfway? I was going to say. We're past halfway through. <laughs> but, but it's been a great joy to work side by side with you, your Absolutely. family to me. And, but a gratitude for all of the amazing work that we, that our team has done. I saw three of our, three of our guys in the office today. They were busy working away, working away, quietly working, and they didn't even see me filming them. And, um, and so it's, it's really- Did you post it? Yes, of course I did. It's very powerful to have that because we have a lot of problems in Manhattan, but we're, we are working harder than we've ever worked. We're putting together transactions that we can put together and everything has hair on it. Everything has problems. But with that, they're luxury problems. We live in a great city that's going through really challenging times. Yeah. And we're in it. We're in the playground where people need homes and we're servicing that. So that's yeah. my takeaway from this past week as we went into Labor Day, which was a great weekend, that of gratitude. Yeah. So- well, I would echo your sentiments of uh, having our 14 years together. It's been a, uh, a great ride. I can't believe it's been an amazing years. gift of 14 and, yeah, years. And how much our lives have changed since we've known each other. Like this past weekend, or maybe even this morning, how proud I am of you. And you really, in many ways, just grew up working side by side, it was, it was, it's been an amazing gift to watch you grow as a real estate broker, but also as a man. For those of you who don't know, Jonathan got married in our partnership and as did I, even though I was with Wright for a long time, but I was in his wedding. And then I've seen the birth of his child, Nina, and I've seen her grow. But then also the most, this has been the most amazing time because my beloved business partner is buying his first home and I'm so privileged to be a part of that. That is so exciting for me. It's terrifying for him, but it's more exciting for me. I'm just like, oh, you'll get through all that. Don't worry about that. That's so fun. And not only that, it's really good. And if he wasn't going to buy it, I was going to buy it. All right. So with that, um, we'll leave it now, at that. Let's turn in, let's tune into, you know, a very, very powerful subject. And, 19 years after 9-11, you know, we're going to share our experiences of it. And, you know, let's face it, it was not only changing for the world, but extraordinary 
extraordinarily powerful in both of our lives. So with that, I turn it over to you and you have a very different experience of 9-11 than I do. Well, I had a different experience because I was not living here. I wasn't living in New York City. I was actually- and I, was, I will ask the question, how old were you? I, <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but how old were you? So old, 19 years ago. Uh, so I was, what, 23? Oh, God bless me. I was such a young pup. I was about a year and a half out of college. I was living in Pittsburgh. It was actually, uh, I remember I was working for a small uh, aluminum deox plant. So like a recycling plant, just, I'm not going to go into how I ended up there, but I was working there in a trailer next to, they'd bring in the trucks with the scrap metal on it and they would weigh them on the way in and on the way out and then figure out, okay, how much we owe you for the scrap metal. So I remember sitting in the trailer and seeing it on my computer, my boss saying, oh, hey, did you see this or whatever? And pulling it up online and watching it. Um, and I was all planned to move to New York City that next, that weekend. Um, so I, I remember seeing the first one, I go, wow, what a, what a crazy accident, which I think a lot of people naturally felt like, like, how could that have happened? It seems, you know, uh, improbable and whatever. And then the second one hit um, shortly thereafter. And then it was like, of course, reality sunk in that, that we're under attack and blah, blah, blah. But for me, not being a New Yorker at that time, not being in the city at that time had visited many, many times because my, my significant other at the time was, was living here, um, for six months, but, uh, it was, it was surreal even for me. And then the thought of, I mean, it didn't slow me down. It didn't change my mind to move here at all. Um, I will say that being born and raised in Iowa and all my family being back in Iowa, I had members of my family who I had never spoken to on the phone, period, calling me saying, don't move to New York. Like, how could you like, you know, move back here to Iowa? Uh, you know, there's going to be another terrorist attack and blah, blah, blah. It did not deter me in the least. I mean, I was, I, I, the truck was packed and the apartment was rented where did you um, go? What was your first apartment in New York City? So, so then I moved to uh, Park Slope. So I lived on uh, Fifth Avenue and like 17th Street in Park Slope or South Slope, technically. Um, and you know, my experience of uh, of seeing that that footage is seared into my mind, as I think it is everybody. But I don't have, thankfully, I don't have the personal connection of having lived here and, um, and known friends and, and, or had family, God forbid, of, of those people in the buildings and in the surrounding area or firefighters or whatever. Um, uh, thankfully, I, I didn't see that. But what I did see uh, having moved here during that time was the resiliency of New Yorkers and the, the city. I mean, it was, uh, to me as an outsider, and we, we always say this to clients, like you don't really know a neighborhood until you live there. Um, it's, it's tough to know a city until you live there. Um, even being out in Park Slope, my first job was at 42nd, um, right at 42nd in Lexington. And so I was right in Midtown, like by 
October 15th or something, I got that job. So just the mere fact of that, like I thought, okay, I'm going to move here. Everything's going to be shut down. Everything's going to be, you know, there's no way I'm going to find a job. Thankfully, I had a little bit of savings to carry me. I was moving in with my girlfriend at the time. And, you know, and I was 20 nothing. So it was like, who cares, you know, just do whatever and like, it'll work itself out. Um, uh, I got a job within 30 days of being here, which was just now I look back at it, I'm like, that's just crazy to even think about. Um, at, at such a strange time, there were businesses hiring, etc. And it's like New York didn't for me, especially and I know it's going to be different for you. But not having lived here, it felt like it was almost non existent from the standpoint of business. And the standpoint of like, like there was no question that which is very pertinent for now what we're going through, it was as if there was no interruption of what life is going to continue to be here. You know, like it's not, of course, there was devastated families and devastated people emotionally. Um, But it was as if there was no question whatsoever that this was going to affect our day to day life the day-to-day life of New Yorkers in terms of business, et cetera. Like, yeah, of course, we're going to move on. We're going we're gonna to move on and we're going to go on. Not that we're, we've ever forgotten what happened here. It's always a somber day, even for myself. Um, now, considering myself a New Yorker, considering myself uh, an, a, a part of this community, um, it, it, I think it will always have that. You know, every time one of, uh, one of us says, September 11th or thinks, oh, we're going to do this on September 11th or whatever. I'm sure it's the same for you. You, you, you remember what, what that day signifies. Um, so I, I think that's at large for for Americans at large, there's a, there's, um, a semblance of that. Uh, but certainly having lived here, it becomes, you know, they were still cleaning out the record, the wreckage long after I was here. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still shut down downtown. You couldn't get downtown um, uh, after, you know, for I forget how many months that was shut down. But just cleaning out that wreckage took forever, you know, seemingly forever. So it is certainly seared into my mind, um, but totally in a different, uh, a different way having uh, uh, not been here uh, before and seeing what people's reactions were to it. I only got people's reactions and that resiliency, which actually for me, looking back at it, it really endeared me to the city and to the Mm -hmm. people of the city and this community at large. So, so that was my experience. What we've talked about it before, but where were you, I know you you have an interesting take on it because your your work took you you were specifically working downtown at the time uh, a little bit more than uh, uh, maybe a bigger portion of the job. But uh, how about yourself? I um, it's fascinating to hear you talk about your whole journey because I knew that you moved the week after, but yet the mindset and your family saying, don't go. And I give you tremendous amount of credit at 23 and you came here and then to have a job the month after in Midtown like that. My story is different. And then as you were talking, I was like, okay, I was 36. So, and I met right 
Uh, so it was 2001. So I was with Wright for about uh, mm, almost two years. And I was, I started selling real estate in 1999. I was with the Corcoran Group and I was in our office, which was totally the old office, Jonathan. And Pat and I, I sat uh, where, you know, Angie sits basically um, in the office. And so I had an early morning tour of about maybe 10, 12 apartments that was going to start at like 9.30 in the morning on the west side, 9.30, maybe 10 o'clock. So when I woke up that morning from my apartment on West End and 105th, it was one of those September mornings that was so stunningly beautiful. When you're in New York City, the air had turned. It was cool and not cold. And it was going to be about 73, 74 degrees and sunny with not a cloud in the sky. So when I got off the train at 60th and 5th Avenue, and I, oh, that's what it was. I had a dentist appointment at my dentist on 60th between Park and Madison right that morning. And then I had an afternoon tour. That's what it was. So I walked out of the subway station and I remember looking up and saying, God, I love New York City. What a beautiful day it is. It is going to be a great day. I remember that mm. completely clearly. And I went into my office and I went up to my office at 830 in the morning. Wright was at our apartment. He was not working. He was working. Uh, he was figuring out his work. He had just gotten back from Europe. And my parents were in their home in Pennsylvania. And at about 8.43 or 8.44 in the morning, uh, I got a call from Wright. And he said, a small plane hit the trade center. And I said, oh, really? That's terrible. What, what, what are they, what, is it a big plane? He said, no, it's a small commuter plane. They're not quite sure. And I said, well, which plane, which tower? He said, I think it's the first tower. And so at that point, just looking back at that, the, the news was spotty. Mm -hmm. Now I was in my office, there was nobody there. And Giovanna Simic, who worked in commercial, she was next door to me and I said, hey, Giovanna, somebody had a, you know, a plane hit the train center. She, she asked questions. I said, I don't really know. So I went out doing my work and then I called to my parents and I said, hey, mom and dad. My dad said, hey, John, are you okay? I said, yeah, we heard that the plane hit the trade center and he started to tell me some spotty info. Though. So at that point I walked out. Oh, oh no, I, I just was doing my work. And my boss had called me and said, yeah, you know, I'm still on for the tour and whatever. And when the second plane hit the trade center, Wright called me and he said, hey, hon, he's like, a second plane hit the trade center. I said, what's going on with air traffic? Something's the matter, but hon. And I said to my, my, my girl next door, I said, hey, Giovanna, a second plane hit the trade center. And she screams, terrorism. And I looked at her and I was in shock. I said, what are you crazy? I said, something's going on with their traffic. That's, you know me, Mr. Seeing the Cup Half Full. Well, I think everybody felt that, un like, it was unbelievable. Exactly, it was unbelievable. And not unbelievable to have planes fly into buildings here. Like, that does actually happen. It's happened a couple times, or helicopters or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, it's it, it the, the magnitude of it was mind boggling and just reliving it. And then Wright said, "Hun, I think they might say it's terrorism. I said, you're kidding. That's what the girl next door said to me. I, because then by that time, Jonathan, it all started to unravel.
So I get up because Barbara Corcoran worked, you know, that's when Barbara owned the company. So I yeah. went down the hall to Barbara's office. She wasn't in. And I saw Anita Perone, who was our chief marketing officer. And I said, hey, Anita, I said, you know, a plane hit the Tread Center. This was the, after the first one. She's like, which tower? I said, I, I'm not sure. I think maybe the first one. She's like, Myron, her husband, worked for Port Authority, and he's in the second tower. Like, immediately. She, I said, she's like, thank you for telling me. And she immediately got off the phone with him. So as it, as it happened, he was in the second tower. And he put his bag down and went down. All the stories came out. He went down. The second, second plane, uh, the, the, the first, after the first plane hit, they said, it's okay to go up into the second tower. And he waited. And the second plane hit and killed all 30 of his friends. They're all dead. He never went back. And they ended up leaving the city. But going back to the story. So at that point, I'm like, well, I called Pat Dugan. And I said, Pat, something. She said, yeah, John, you know, cancel the tour. And something's going on here. So I went over to my dentist. I canceled my dentist appointment. I saw Ann Snee coming into the building. She's like, hey, John, how are you? I was like, not great, Ann. I said, she's like, what are you talking about? And then I told her, she said, you're kidding me. I said, no. I said, something's going on here. And I think it might be, they say maybe terrorism. So I go back up to my office and I'm sitting there. And by that time, Wright could not call me. You have to remember that, that there was, and he, because all the phone lines went down, like everybody was calling, calling, calling. So everything was jammed. And I finally got through to my parents. I said, Hey mom and dad, could you call to write at the apartment and tell them, uh, we're, we're, we're frozen here. I can't have to stay here. And they said, yeah, John, now then the whole Pentagon thing came out and they said it was going to go towards the white house and all sorts of stuff. And they downed the plane. I'm like, this is unbelievable. So I got a hold of my client. I canceled all the appointments. I didn't even think I could cancel the appointments, Jonathan. But then we were there until when the first tower fell. I said, right, said, John, he got through to me. I said, right, that can't be. That cannot be. He said, I'm watching it on the news. And at that point, a lot of people had come into the office, Liz Spar, and, and we were just like, I got to go home. And when the second one fell, I said, okay, I'm coming home. So here again begins the journey home. Now I live on West End between 105, 106. Mm -hmm. So the elevators had stopped. You had to walk down the 11 flights. Everybody was walking side by like quietly down and people were just gathering their thoughts. So I get outside on Madison Avenue and think of it this way. There were no street lights. The streetlights had stopped. So there were men in the middle of the street, meet like me. They were hailing traffic up and down. And I looked and the buses, Jonathan, there was a cross town, there was like a bus going up Madison Avenue that was just jammed with people. And I'm like, what's going on? So the subways were all locked off. You could not use the subways. They, they stopped any traffic in and out of Manhattan. So I'm like, well, I gotta walk home. It was a beautiful day. So I go to Central Park South and the way I describe it was like New Year's Eve and the the ball had fallen and all the crowds were rushing into Central Park. I've never seen it. It was like a wall of people coming up from Times Square. I'm like, what is going on? And so I'm just walking 
And I got to like Columbus in the 70s and I live on a, in the hundreds and I'm just walking and all the vendors along Columbus Avenue, they all had their windows open and the TVs on and people were just shocked. And there was a guy walking next to me and I looked over at him and he looked at me. I said, hell of a day. He said, yep, hell of a day. And we just kept walking together. And he said, how far do you have to go? And I said, I have to go to West End between 105 and 106. How about you? He said, I'm going up to 215th Street. Mm. I said, are you kidding me? He said, yeah. We exchanged phone numbers and I made sure he got home safely and then I got home safely. And by the time I got home, it was in the afternoon and Wright had a friend over and he was just processing. He went up to the roof. You know, he, he had been around it all day. And then me, I went on overdrive. I'm like, we need money. We need to get food. And so I went to the grocery store and all the ATM machines, they locked all the ATM machines. You couldn't get money out. And the, 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 the grocery store, the D'Agostino was like long lines and people were gathering stuff, you know, kind of like, kind of like COVID. And yeah. uh, that was our processing, and we just sat and watched it. That was Where the, was Wright? Was he? He was at the apartment all day oh, long. He, he did not leave it. And he, I think he, he didn't even bathe. You know, he was just obsessed with the news. Right. And so that night, I used the example. It was really cool, and our windows were up. Oh, we're, da- we're, we're, we're up. So we could, we could smell the burning of the, in, it, the, the winds had changed, and so it went all the way up upper, upper Manhattan, it was surreal, like you said, it was surreal. And then it was a week before the office opened. And as you said, our work was down in Tribeca. So we had a listing down there and I had to go down probably a week after. So by this time, there were still no showings. There were a lot of memorial services. Uh, the stories were harrowing that I had heard. I had was in therapy at the time, and one of the guys from therapy w- was there and witnessed he was to go into one of the towers, and he didn't. And he heard this, you know, like the, the explosion stories were unbelievable, yet alone the devastating. Father DeFell's nephew was in the Tower One, and he perished that day, and he was talking to his brother. I mean, the stories, I could go on and on and on. I went down to Tribeca and I checked on the listing. They allowed me through the barriers on Canal Street. So I said, I'm gonna go down and see if I could find the wreckage, see the wreckage. This is when I recognized the gravity of what I, what I had experienced. So I walked down Greenwich Street and you could only get to about Harrison Street, Jonathan, which mm-hmm. is for anybody who doesn't know Lower Manhattan, what is it, 20 some blocks away. So yeah. when I got, to Harrison, I'm, look, I'm looking, and, and there I saw it. <laughs> it, was, it was a building. It wasn't a small wreckage. It was yeah, a building was, yeah. of wreckage. So it had to have been 30 stories high, 25, 30 stories high of wreckage. I went like this, I was like, it was like out of a movie that I looked at it and I yeah. went, oh my God, wow. That was one week after. And then, so it's September. So I remember it had to have been probably February, March, where the market then, it picked up after, in January. You see, nothing happened in the fall. And then in January, February, March, the spring market started to happen. So I was in Tribeca. And that was the beginning of a 
the beginning of the craze. It was the beginning of the craze. So I was down there showing apartments and I would be like coming out of these like apartments with balconies and I'd be like, it's pretty, you know, because you could still smell the chemical, the burning. Um, and then, so that was my initial experience. Family and friends calling, are you okay? Blah, 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 all sorts of, yeah. you know, the reassurance. And this is something that you touched on. In my 32 years in New York City, I have never witnessed Manhattan, Manhattanites kinder, more loving, more caring for each other. It was as though time stopped. You see, all that, mm, mm -hmm. get out of my way, that, all that BS was all gone. How can I help? So New Yorkers were at soup kitchens. They were helping. They gave their shirts off their backs and they worked, worked tirelessly down to build, to get the wreckage out to try to find people. Um, it was it was a beautiful time in Manhattan in many ways, where the people were so so wonderful. And as we were just about to do this, I thought, wow, you know. In COVID, COVID's a very different different experience that we're experiencing. Um, yeah, I would say there's, there's, it's, it's interesting now, just the, even when you're talking or like wearing a mask because of nine 11, like there's these parallels. Uh, and similar, Yeah. The parallels between that time and this time, of course, and we've lost, uh, I, I don't know, thousands of people to COVID. I don't know what the oh, ultimate yes, number lost, is, but lost, we lost a dear friend to yeah, dear yeah. friend, Robbie. And we've lost know, people that we know, Fred, I think Fred also passed from COVID. Yeah. Uh, but I'm saying New Yorkers as a whole, not just us personally, 25,000 people. New Yorkers as a whole have lost thousands and thousands of people. Of course they're spread out. It's not like a, an isolated incident, et cetera. But, um, you know, I, and that's, I, I'm sure it's the same for you. It's the core of why we're like, New York's going to come back. New York's going to be always New York. People love New York city. And it, so there's that parallel as well of the New Yorkers that ha have lived here and, and love this city are going to come back if they're not here now. Many of them yeah. have been here the whole time. I mean, I have many clients that I've talked to, as I know you do, are like, no, I've been here the whole time. And you know what? It's been interesting. It's been a, you know, uh, it's very quiet. And it's, you know, it's kind of like when, when you stay in New York over like tradition, yeah. uh, historically, like over Labor Day weekend, sure. or it's like, so many people leave the city and it's actually a beautiful time to be in the city because there's just less people and the traffic's easy and parking's easy, et cetera. Um, so it's there's that parallel like that of the, <laughs> what's that? It's been like that for months yeah. instead of a well, weekend, you know, yeah. holiday But time. that resiliency is what binds us together as New Yorkers and, and that, that kindness that you're mentioning. I mean, it's always that camaraderie is what I always think of it as the camaraderie of, of the real New Yorkers, the people, they say you have to be here like 12 years and then you can call yourself a New Yorker. Um, but that camaraderie of the people that truly love this city is a beautiful thing when, especially when something, an attack on our city happens. Um, and that's what the COVID virus is. It's right. an attack on our city as we yeah. know it. Yeah. Um, so that resiliency, I'm wholeheartedly believing will be there. 
we will come out of this just like we came out of 9-11. Um, sure. And a different, totally different scenario, but very similar in many ways. So I think that's a, it, it was a lesson certainly for those that, uh, that weren't here at the time or, or maybe moved here in the last couple of years and, and don't really have the full sense of what New York is and what, what it means to be a New Yorker is as of yet. Um, I think the old school New Yorkers, the people that have been here for 12, we'll call it 12 plus years, maybe that's changed. Um, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, nobody's going anywhere. We're going to stick this out. And yeah, maybe some things will change uh, in the short term, maybe for the worse, but in the long term, maybe for the better, you know, who knows? So, um, you know, after 9-11, we had to go through major security checks. Then we had the shoe bomber. We all have to take our shoes off to get onto airplanes. Now do we think, oh my God, oh shoot, yeah. Wow, why do we have to do this? No, we just do it. So that's what today I was walking around with my mask on in the 86 and Lex. I was like, wow. I really don't want masks to become standard though. Me either. But what I'm saying is uh, New Yorkers are just going around their business. Everybody's wearing a mask. And I say, okay, it's business is unusual. It's it's an important day to remember those lost, um, all of the lives who were transformed in that day, and so we take a pause and we we mourn their loss, and then we um, it's a reminder to live boldly. How's that? Yeah, and it's a day, but it but it's also a day to be proud. It's a day to be be proud proud of the response. Yes, sir. Uh, that New Yorkers had and the resiliency of the city and that camaraderie, that's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. And it really, sh- it shined a light on on that. And I think that was ultimately, uh, it really pulled the city together and, and unified the population on on many different fronts. So it-, it and we'll do it again. We're doing yeah, it again. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was great to talk to you, John, because every time we talk about that, I always hear, um, you know, something different in your, you know, a new detail of, of what you experienced that day. And it is, it, listen, it's a day that we will all always remember. Oh, like Kennedy, Kennedy getting shot. I never heard that. I never witnessed him getting shot, but you talked, I talked to all of my parents and my relatives. They knew exactly what they were doing when John Kennedy got shot. Yeah. Yeah. So it will live on, but, uh, but we keep from it the, uh, the good pieces. You know, so listen, great to talk to you. You We will see everybody next week. In the meantime, stay safe and healthy, everybody. And remain in gratitude. See you next time. See you next week.